Welcome back to From the BLN, the Burnley podcast. I'm your host, Simon Evans, and with me today, as always, former Burnley Express legend Chris Bowden, and multimedia maestro and ex-Lancashire Telegraph columnist Andrew Greaves. How are we doing, gents? I'm laughing Not at bad. that. <laughs> Leg end, baby. <laughs> what, what a welcome that was. There you go. <laughs> So anyway, uh, international break. Premier League is back this weekend, thankfully. I think a lot of us feel thankfully. But how, how was your international break? Did you did you take, take in much of the uh, international football, Gravesy? Uh No, I mean, I have a real dislike of international football outside of major tournaments, I have to say. It just, um, it, it bores me. I'll be honest, I forgot England were playing... Ukraine whenever they played the Ukraine whether it's Saturday or Sunday I can't I, I just forgot they were playing I watched the Scotland game to be fair um, but yeah it just I just long for the domestic competitions to start again it, it just feels like a, just a waste for me because I'm not one of these who watches multiple games during international break I've mates who do but no I don't enjoy it it always comes at the wrong time and yeah not for me it does Sam. feel a bad time doesn't it because it's like it's so early in the season not just in England but in Europe in general the leagues have just got going your interest levels are being built the little the little narratives and stories are starting and then you stop for a fortnight Chris do you, did you watch much? <laughs> I said I, I, I went to uh, I went to watch Oldham on Saturday uh, you know and that was a Pretty pretty awful game all round against Dorking, nil a piece draw, and uh, yeah, Unzi's uh, under a bit of pressure there. But you know, I come out, I come out of there into the uh, into the bar and watch the first half of uh, the Ukraine game. You know, caught the uh, caught the equaliser and uh, obviously tuned in to watch. You know, what was a, an enjoyable training session on it, it, at Hamden. You know, men against boys, attack versus defence. It was uh, you know. Decent, that. Yeah, considering Scotland were the form side in Europe, I, mean, I think they've gone six games unbeaten and, uh, well, slapped them down a peg or two. And, uh, yeah, they've got a long way to go before they're anywhere near in England's league. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Trying to flip the pressure now and suggest that England, this group of players, should be winning a tournament. But uh, we all know it's not as cut and dried as that. And when it comes down to tournament football, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, just... Looking at the lad Bellingham, he just really, really excites me. And I'd, uh, yeah, I'd quite happily sit and watch him uh, play all night. I'm, I'm not too fussed about, you know, the the, the gap. It's uh, football's football. <laughs> give me, give me more. Yeah, Bellingham. Yeah, yeah. Bellingham is the one reason to watch England. I mean, he's just, I don't know. I mean, you run out of superlatives for him, don't you? I mean, the start he's made in La Liga has been fantastic, and. Um, you know, he is genuinely, genuinely, genuinely world class, uh, despite what the uh, despite what the caller to talk sport said. I don't know if you guys saw that just before it said we've got Scotland and Billy Gilmore have got the in form best midfielder in Europe. 
You know, he's wow. better at what he does than what Jude Bellingham does. And Oof. Darren Bent was... and Andy Goldstein were just like, sorry, can you just repeat that? That is that is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, but... Bellingham is just uh, oh, he's just phenomenal. Love watching. Seems a nice kid as well. Seems a really nice kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so close to signing for Manchester United as well. And there's some some people at that club must be absolutely uh, looking in the mirror every morning when they read about what he's doing at Real Madrid. But um, yeah, no, I, I must admit the international breaks. When I when I was back in England and, and like covering Premier League, um, I used to quite enjoy going on Stanley. You know, I just used to have a little break um, break from the Premier League and just sort of you know reconnect with the kind of football that. That, that we watched in uh, in our fourth division days, um, but uh, these days over here, yeah, it was South American World Cup qualifiers for me, which uh, was really enjoyable. Actually, it's been a while since I've sort of tuned in and really paid attention to that. Argentina played some crackets. I mean, even without Messi in Bolivia, they they still look such a good side. They really do. And but you get massive crowds, and it matters. Even though it's like World Cup qualifiers, and how far away is twenty twenty six? It feels ridiculous. And nearly everyone's qualifying under the expanded 48-team World Cup. But there's such a tradition to those games that, like, everyone's up for them. All the crowds, grounds were full, big crowds, really passionate. It was really enjoyable to watch it. So um, that was my little international break, which is a bit different when you're over here and, and you know, your day-to-day is Major League Soccer and then you get a bit of that. So, um, yeah, Premier League back, though. Let's get into that. Uh, shortly, but before we do, um, there were a couple of Clarets had notable international breaks. Lyle Foster, the goal machine, on target again for uh, South Africa in their 1 0 win over the Democratic Republic of Congo. Found a video having gone through about six or seven fake attempts on YouTube where you just get some <laughs> some graphic and some bloke mumbling in an African dialect uh, about the game. and I just wanted to see the goal, but Twitter, Twitter's a better bet for things like that. Grab, pounced on a loose ball in the box, drove it home with his left foot, and as the commentator said, Lyle Foster, just as he does for Burnley, grants no mercy. <laughs> nice, nice. It's good, it's only good for a minute, yeah. 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 His, his, his goal celebration was quite straight. Yeah, it was quite the goal celebration. <laughs> he runs in a straight line. It is, like you say, Chris, I mean, it's brilliant for him. I mean, the, his confidence must be sky high, because I think he strikes me as being a bit of a confidence player. I know he talked about his mental health struggles, I think, in the summer um, on a South African radio interview. And I think, you know, company showed that faith, didn't he? I mean, in the documentary, he's being yeah. questioned by the board, like, oh, Lyle Foster's not playing, playing very much. And he said, look, we've brought him in because we can get him now for this price. And he's, he's built for the Premier League. And, you know, two in two before he went on international duty, one in one. I think South Africa only had one game. I think he's only played one game. Um, scored again. So hopefully he'll come back on Monday night and, you know, find his, he, you know, return to his goal scoring in, in a Claret and Blue shirt or whatever, uh, whichever the three uh, shirts we're going to wear in, the, in, in Nottingham on Monday. He <laughs> is the big positive of the season so far, isn't he, Chris? I mean, we were all, you know, talking for, for weeks about we need a centre forward, we need a centre forward. And he, he's, he stepped up, as they say, over here. Yeah, there were just those promising signs in uh, in pre-season, and obviously, uh, you know, he, he, opening night, he was you know one of the one of the main plus points. Is uh, you know his, his work rate, you know, he's he's will, you know, he's willing to. Uh, he's a pest. So he always call used to describe Martin Patterson as a pest. He, you know, he's that same t- type. He's 
you know, forever like rat, you know, trying to wrap the ball away from uh, from centre halves and full backs. And uh, you know, when you throw goals on top of that, now that he's he's starting to find the net, uh, you know, it's it, well, it just you know the, the foresight that company had to pick him up in January. He's he's had that luxury of being able to sort of ease him in. You know, so a lot of Burnley fans were sort of wondering, you know, what quite does does Vincent see in him? And you know, we, we we've seen that sort of that graft, and now you know, like I say, plus plus goals. Coley Osho, there's that nice little um, statistic. Is it you know, he's you know, top player in the Premier League in terms of winning the ball back in the opponent's uh, defensive third and things like that. There are little little things that are working, but obviously. Uh, Lot to do against the ball, and our fullback, uh, Connor Roberts, won his 50th cap for Wales against Latvia. So that puts him, he's in contention to become the most capped Welsh international to have played for Burnley. Obviously, not all the caps while playing for Burnley, but uh, he's on 50 now. Leighton James, 54, Sam Vokes, 64, and Brian Flynn, 66. Greavesy, he's had, he's had, a, he's had. I mean, he's he's a player who clearly, really relishes playing for Wales. Very proud of it. Sings the songs, really into it. And I think you know, for somebody who had a relatively modest start to his career with those loan spells from Swansea and so on, he's he's done really well, hasn't he? He has, and I think you often get that with Welsh players, don't you? I mean, Vauxy on sixty-four. Did you say there? I mean. You know, Vokes, he was a bit of a, a kind of travelling man, weren't he, until he came to Burnley and, and kind of really started to settle. But, you know, and it, it, you know, let's be honest, the, the Welsh manager perhaps doesn't have the same pool of talent to choose from. But when they do get a, a player in a position, then, you know, that, that player really kind of, um, you know, relishes playing for Wales. You know, it's part of their identity, which I always love about, um, you know, the Welsh national team. Um, you know, and, and, you know, not being too kind of, um, discrediting towards Scotland, the Republic of Northern Ireland, most of the Welsh players do tend to be Welsh-born, don't they? I mean, I think there was a stat about Steve Clark's side in terms of the amount that played in the Premier League and the amount that, you know, he's used that weren't Scottish-born, if you will. You don't tend to get that so much with the Welsh, do you? I mean, the Welsh do tend to be born within Wales and I think Connor's, you know, it's magnificent to to get to 50 caps um, if you've had a not modest career. You look at the kind of list of England players who've played for top clubs and never never got to 50 caps. Um, to have that consistency for your national side, you've got to take your hat off to him. And he has, he's, he's clearly cemented that place. And we were talking before we came on, probably got at least the Euros in him, if not another tournament after that. So you can see that Brian Flynn record perhaps being in danger, given the amount of international games that that kind of tot up, top up, tot up over the course of a season as well. Yeah, I mean, I went down and saw uh, Wales play Ukraine in the uh, World World Cup qualifier uh, last year, and um, and spoke to a few Wales fans about Conor Roberts. and And the thing that struck me was, although he's very clearly identified with with Swansea. Um, there was, you know, even 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 some of the Cardiff fans they have a, they have a lot of time for him because, uh, you know, just because he 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 belts out the songs not just on an Ansel anthem but the other song that they sing before games these days, you know, that's quite a sort of nationalist sort of tub thumping song and everything and, uh, and 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 he loves it. He's he's really into it and and he's he's 
I mean, as a, as a player, when he came in, people did, weren't excited about him as a signing for Burnley, really, were they? But he's he's survived from the Dyche era, you know, when a lot of people haven't done, hasn't he? He's 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 been a sort of that's been one constant in in this period of change has been right back until he started playing at left back, obviously. <laughs> I said he, he must have must have wondered what he'd uh, what he'd come to really when he signed. He was you know. Struck, you know, he had like well the serious illness and injury and what have you, and uh, you know, and then playing a brand of football that would have been somewhat alien to him. You know, this is Sean Dyche's brand of football, and uh, obviously scored that fabulous goal against uh, it was Southampton, wasn't it, where he cut in on his left foot and uh, found the top corner, and and you know ended the season uh, fairly, fairly, you know, fairly decently to be fair, but. Uh, when you've when you've grown up in that, you know the, the, the sort of you know the, the football that Swansea produced over the last decade, and you know the the DNA that they've got going all the way back to uh, you know your Martinez's and Loudups and all that. He's 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 been a part of that and come all the way through, and he knows him, well. Him company's football must be like a, you know a dream a dream for him to be that uh, a, a part of that side. But uh, yeah, he's a. I was thinking about these uh, these Welsh players, Grizzly, all born in Wales, like Volksy. And Gaz Taylor. Well, yeah, I, re- I realise that there is exception to the rule there, but yeah, I was just, desperately I was going Ian Rush, Mark Hughes, uh, Ryan Giggs, of course, uh, famously not born in Wales either, and played for twenty one. Um, but I think, yeah, perhaps I was being a little bit, uh, a little bit cheeky towards kind of Scotland and Ireland. But of course, Connor won't have to wait very long for his next international cap because we've only got about four weeks until the next international break at the start of October, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I do. I do think there was some. And one in November, yeah. I do think there was some uh, value in. It all got mixed up when Wenger was talking about changing the Windows system. He got caught up with his idea of of two World Cups. Uh, every, every World Cup every two years, sorry. Um, but it did have this idea of just having two like mega breaks, one in the autumn, one in the spring, um, early spring, and just you know playing four games rather than two, and just saying right, that's your winter, and the rest of the time is domestic football. Uh, and I think there was some there's a good case for that because again, it's going dis- to it just loses the rhythm and momentum, doesn't it, of domestic yeah. seasons. Um, Anyway, let's uh, just have well, a quote from I'm saying this before. Well, be- sorry, I mean, I, I, even before the season, you know, the season hadn't even ended and, you know, Michael Obafemi got hurt with the Republic yeah, yeah. of Ireland. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's still out for Burnley. I think a player that, you know, Burnley fans would be interested to see his sort of uh, his impact, but we're, uh, you know, we're, we're waiting on him yet. Yeah, yeah. Right, Vincent Company was talking this week, um, and there was an interesting quote that I wanted to, to throw over for for comment. He said, we can either struggle for the next 10 years, or we can use this season to maybe struggle for one season, but then make a leap forward soon after. This is the kind of squad we have, one that can progress for a number of years. It's one year where it's not going to be any different than any of the other teams that have just come up. But whatever way we shape the squad, it would have been the same. The first year is always a difficult year, but looking past this year and looking at a cycle of three years, this team has got some real, real potential, and that's exciting. I'm not quite sure what he's saying at the start of that there. With with uh, We can struggle for the next 10 years, or we can use this season to struggle for one year and then make a leap forward. Am I, am I overthinking this, Greavesy? What's he saying there? 
I think what he's saying is is that you, you could have, you know, and I'm not saying this is a slight on Sean Dyche, but you, you could set your stall out to kind of buy those players that have no room for development, those players that perhaps don't have a market value, don't fit into that system, which we're going to have of, you know, hopefully buy cheap, sell high, i.e. more of what we did. Because let's be honest, kind of, you know, the 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 most amount of seasons under Sean, he was performing miracles, you know, so it was a struggle for Sean. You know, we were we were yeah. fighting against relegation, et cetera, et cetera. So you could go down that path where you pick up your Eric Peters, your Phil Bardsley's, your aging pros, which, you know, every year you know you're going to be in that battle to kind of the mini league at the bottom. You want to finish you know, third bottom, fourth bottom even, you don't want to finish third bottom. Or what you can do is you can set your stall out. You could buy these players cheap relatively. I know as the window went on, we started to splash a bit more cash and use it as a transition season, perhaps like the Germans did. If you remember the Germans pretty much wrote off to a World Cup and European Championships to blood in the new the new um, talent. And I feel that's probably something that would have benefited England a good few years ago to get rid of some of that old guard and bring through the newer players um, almost en masse and, and write off a couple of, um, you know, campaigns. I think that's what companies say. And I think part of it is tempering expectations because I think we were all, um, I know I certainly was a little bit guilty of, um, thinking that we were going to take our championship form straight into the Premier League and there'd be no stopping us. I got a little bit overexcited, I have to say. Um, so I think what he's saying is, he's, look, you know, let's temper expectations. We are just another promoter club. Yes, we've, we've signed all these incredible players, but to expect them to turn into a top 10, top seven side this season is probably way beyond our possibility. Now, I, I, that's how I read it. When I read it, I kind of thought, look, it's quite sensible. Um, I think he wants, I think in, in in his team meetings, he'll be talking a completely different game and not setting expectations. But I yeah. think for us, it, it's, a, it's an expectation setter. But also, again, I think it feeds into the fact that he sees this as a, a long-term project. You know, he sees mm. it as that, you know what, I'm still going to be here next season. And next season, if this team develops and transitions as we expect it to do, then it'll be second season Brentford, second season Brighton, where you get rid of the the shackles of being that promoted club. You gain the experience of mixing it with the big boys. You look at where you need to fill in gaps. Spoiler alert, left back, definitely. And you, you then push on next season, wanting to give a good show of yourself. It's not to say we won't do that this season once we start hitting the ground. And I still don't think we'll be fourth bottom. I do think we'll finish higher than that. But that that was my reading of it. But it was an interesting quote, interesting for, for Vincent, who's never really come out with anything like that, to come out no. with, with that kind of you know pragmatic um, kind of approach. Maybe struggle for one season. I mean, as as a journalist, your ears would prick up to that bit, wouldn't they, Chris? Oh, certainly, certainly. But I think Burnley fans know the drill, don't they? You know, you, you go up in 2009 and struggled, got relegated. Go up in 2014, struggled, relegated. Go up in 2016, cracked it, 
and that that was a you know the the major major breakthrough. You know, I remember yeah. remember sort of uh, winning it. You know, the only away win of the season at Palace at the end of that season, which basically secured safety. And it, I've spoke about it before. It's for 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 a lot of these players. I assume, and certainly the you know the the, the players that uh, that Vincent's brought in this summer, they haven't experienced the hype that goes into every game. And it is every game, whether you're playing Brentford, Bournemouth, or, or, or Manchester City or Manchester United, the hype's yeah. the same for every game. The level of press interest, the level of interviews you have to do, you know, every ground's full, you know, the, the scrutiny on every kick of the ball, every decision, you know, it, it, it's a lot to get your head around. And it is a struggle, you know. And, it, and, and so throwing the, the fact that they're quite inexperienced uh, players in the main as well, playing at this level for the first time. If you do crack it, you know, next season, you know, you're expecting takeoff, aren't you, really? You know, say the, the, the potential of some of these players is like, well, through the roof. I just, uh, you know, really, really heartened by what Brian Jensen was saying last week, you know, believing in the process and, you know, believing in these players. And, uh, you know, they've been brought in for that specific profile. And uh, you can see, you know, like I said, given a season, you know, given that's a survival season, I think it could be, like I say, really, you know, the turbocharge things moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he does say later in that interview about needing to to toughen up the defence, um, which is which is obvious. Um, but it, yeah, it is interesting, and it, it's it's interesting that he talks about struggling for a season because there'd been no talk about that at all. Had the you know before the season that oh we're going to struggle this year in the top flight, but I think he's you know addressing addressing some concerns that obviously he's, he'll have picked up from the fans and the general chatter and punditry that's been some of it's been writing Burnley off already, hasn't it? Um, I mean, we were quite critical, and it was interesting to hear. Uh, the beast sports on it last week if you haven't listened that was that was last week's podcast special guest uh brian jensen um but he he's you know he, he was sort of not putting us in our place but he did sort of you know after we did a very critical episode after the spurs game to have to have an ex-pro come on and say come on you know this this is a really tough job and you've got a brilliant manager believe in him um i think i think most burnley fans went when things settled down after that Spurs game, still believe in Vincent Company, but uh, obviously a lot of Im- improvement needs to be done starting on Monday uh, at Nottingham Forest. Um, the other thing that happened this week, uh, the list of the Premier League squad had to be put in, the official list, 25 players. Um, the only absentee from sort of senior players on that is uh, Darko Chulinov, who's still... Uh, working his way back to health and fitness. Um, the weird thing with it is, of course, there's 56 under-21 players also registered for the Premier League. So Burnley have a total squad size of 81 players, which, of course, isn't the first-team squad, really, but 81 players, or just to think about it. I mean, you think back to when we used to have an A team and a B team and a reserve team um, all playing every Saturday. And we wouldn't have had half of that amount. Well, about half that amount, probably. I mean, you know, one or two subs for each team in those days, of course. Um, but that that number just like 
I was I, I found that incredible to think we had that many footballers, Chris. Yeah, but I say I bear in mind that we're in an age where like clubs like Chelsea have had forty odd players out on loan. You know, the yeah. clubs are stockpiling players, aren't they now? And uh, you know, if you're in Burnley, have never been in that position where they can do something like that. Like Greaves said, you know, they've gone out and signed uh, you know experienced pros that'll do them a, you know a job for you know a, a season or two. But uh, being able to bring in, you know, let's say the young kid that's coming from. Uh, from St. Mirren and, uh, you know, it'd be nice to see some of the, you know, the, you know these development uh, players make an impact as well, maybe, you know, a couple out on loan, you know, the Owen Dodge and gone out to Barnsley and so on. But uh, let's say so much youth that's, uh, you know, you look at the under-21 players, you know, that they're first team players, you know, uh, Alder Kill, you know, Egan Riley's not had much of a kick, but, you know, senior pro, Collie Show, other Bears been involved. Ramsey will certainly be involved. James Trafford, it's it is exciting on paper, but uh, yeah, you, you can you can see, like I say, Chirley, obviously Chirlinoff's had the uh, you know you know the illness etc. But uh, you know he's not probably not going to be up to speed until January. And uh, like I say, Bastian Samuel Bastian maybe was one of those that maybe maybe could have uh, could have missed the cut. But uh, I say he's still he's still got that you know the the Rodriguez's the Taylors. Uh, you know, the it's a big courts. squad, isn't it? Yeah, it is yeah, big... yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, think we've ever had yeah. we've never had that amount of players to choose from. I mean, the depth is crazy. Yeah, mm. Murray Campbell is the the player that's coming from Saint Mirren, um, seventeen years old, um, getting rave reports. Was out of contract, I believe. So that's how it sort of went through under the radar um, after the window that deal. I think. Um, Greaves, it. I mean, what did what did you think when you saw that list of names? Apart from being able to have a little chuckle at some of the middle names there, but uh, it was uh, it's quite a list, isn't it? It is, and I was saying this when uh, on the Spurs game to um, to to the lads I'm sat with. If you think about which players didn't make that Spurs squad, you know, you've got Ekdal out injured um, at that point. Uh, you've got Ramsey not in that squad. You had Taylor not in that squad. I don't think Odebert were in the squad. You had Zorori suspended. When you look at that, that kind of match day 19 or whatever it is, um, you can't fit all these players in. I mean, you can't fit all of the new signings plus the ones we need from last season with Murich as the sub-goalkeeper. So you're always, always... No, Bastian, of course, has not got a, not had a look-in um, this season uh, as well. It, you've got a lot of players there. I mean, the squad's last season... You know, you think back to some of the times under Dyche, and I, I, I noticed he did it again the other day for Everton. Two goalkeepers on the bench. You know, youth team kind of graduate... So we're never going to get on. Yeah, you know, we had that a lot, gone, didn't we? We've suddenly gone from that, like you say, you know, the the old AB reserve team days aside. You've gone under dice where you've got very few first team senior players missing out on a a place in that squad because we basically had a senior first team supplemented when injured by youngsters who were never really going to get more than you know five minutes. Um, to now having having conceivably a matchday squad which will leave out players who could feasibly get in championship teams. You know, Scotty Twine's out on loan, of course. You know, Oberfemi's injured. All of these players, how do you get all of that into 19 
or whatever it is for the match day squad. So um, the, the exciting thing, like Chris said, a lot of young players, a lot of first team regulars who are on that under 21 list, and yeah. a couple more who are just slightly older, so Bayer, of course, but also the fact that we've got we are kind of stockpiling players to a degree where if one leaves, you know, let's say Zorori has a cracking start when he gets his season properly underway and, and Liverpool come in with 40 million, you can't turn that down in January. You just kind of go, well, that's fine. Orderbert will step in. You know, it's not that kind of, right, what do we do? We've got nobody. We're going to have to go out and buy somebody. I think some of the summer business is probably done with January being a terrible time to buy players. By and large, if you're a Premier League club, we got away with it in the Championship, but I think it's a terrible time, and that's why you like Sir Alex and Arsene Wenger and and those kind of managers never bought in January because it's no. sellers' market because clubs are desperate to push on for Champions League or avoid relegation, and the prices just go through the roof. And we we learned from Matt Williams that you know they were players who would just you know Teller was just outside the price range. Matt's and we couldn't do the deal early in the window because it was too much. And when it came to within the price we wanted, the player had decided not to turn up. So um, I, I think it's a sensible move and it, it becomes more and more sensible, apart from the neglecting to get a left back, the more you think about what company wants to work with and how he wants to work with it. You know, Egan Riley looked to be in the training pictures, so it looks like he's back from that long-term injury or medium-term injury, churling off back training but it's they clearly think that he's going to take longer than Obafemi because I've not seen Obafemi in any training pictures we can re-register the squad in January um, you know so we might see Churling off Mecca return in January we might see him shipped out on loan or permanent come January once he's, he's back fully fit I don't know but um, I'm just not sure I'd want to be Vincent company with that amount of talent and trying to choose A starting 11 and B a wider 19 match day squad yeah, and it's it, also, you know, with that amount of players uh, just on the youth side, there's an awful lot of uh, planning and organisation got to go into it. If you are going to have development pathways, to use the phrase that they like to, to talk about, for all those players to give them enough game time and opportunities and personal attention on the train ground when you've got so many of them, it's uh, it's going to be a busy busy time at uh, Gorthope, I think, over the next uh, year or two, but... I agree. I agree with you. I think. I think you know we're probably going to have to be realistic as well in future windows, where you know if we do sell as Aurora, and there'll be that clamour that well we need to replace Aurora, and like you say, there's a player there like Odebert who might come straight into that position, or you know Koliosho, despite making a positive start, I think probably when everybody's up and running, he's probably not going to be a starter. You would think that players like. Brun Larson with Bundesliga experience under the belt are probably going to be a bit ahead of him in the pecking order, but we'll see. He's taking his chance quite well. But um, we might not need to go out and spend a lot of money next summer if we've because we've done so much work to put the next wave of players in there. So it's, a, it's an interesting one. But more immediate concerns is Monday's match at the city ground. Um, it's a big one, isn't it? You were saying, Chris, like every game has its own hype and its own pressure. But this is this, you know, and it's ridiculous at uh, this stage in the season to talk about must wins or can't afford to lose. Of course, you know, it's a long, long way to go. But the season does need sort of the ship does need steering in a different direction, doesn't it? 
It does, and like I say, I, I, I don't like the must-win phrase. You know, you know, must-wins when you come to the last game of the season and you have to yeah. win to do whatever you, you need to. But if you lose at the City ground on Monday night, you're nine points behind a team that you would consider to be in and around you. You'd imagine, and that's mm. a you know, it's a big, it's a big hurdle. You know, Forest have uh, they've, they've, they've they've won two and lost two. I mean, that was a turn up for the books. Uh, last time out, but you know, maybe not winning, winning it, winning one nil at Chelsea. Uh, they, they were uh, they were obviously two nil up at uh, Old Trafford the week before as well. So uh, yeah, but that's I, I, I still imagine Forrest will be in and around in and around Burnley. You know, is is the League Cup game a marker? You know, both both were uh, you know entirely different sides to what. Uh, what will be put out on Monday night, you'd imagine. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think we can read too much into that one. No, you've got to be, you know, got to be looking to sort of pick up a point there. At uh, you know, well, fingers crossed, you know, re- repeat that, uh, that 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 League Cup victory. But uh, yeah, just you can't be losing that at this stage of season. Greavesy, we talked a lot in that post Tottenham podcast about what we would do and what Vincent Company should do to sort things out, but. What do you think he actually will do in terms of team selection, adjusting things? I don't think there'll be much adjusting, if I'm really honest, because I think he he genuinely believes that the way he sets up is will be the right way. And I think, you know, I do look to last season when we didn't have the best start and we were trying things time and time again, and it wasn't coming off. We were conceding goals. You know, we were getting ahead, but then conceding. We were conceding late in matches to to throw away points, and everyone went, this isn't working. But I always think back to that, you know, the bit of the documentary where he talks about 100 training sessions, 120 meetings, and things will start to tick. And I think he probably has this viewpoint that, you know, the left-back situation is not ideal. I think the fact that he plays Roberts there is almost an admission that it's not not really working um for whatever reason we've we've done it to death but he don't fancy charlie taylor you think that that might if he's been working with the players in in the 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 international break he might look at taylor as a as a potential option against a forest um but i I don't think i don't think he'll tweak much to be fair i think we'll still go with that Amdune, Collie Osho, Foster front three, with perhaps a Burge and a, a Burger and a, a Cullen behind that. I don't know. I just I don't see him being the tinker man. I, I think he he has genuinely belief genuine belief that these these players and that system will come good, and it's just a case of when. And once it does, then that'll be launch. You know, that'll be the launch pad that we need to to kind of kick on. He's got to have been concerned about the defence, though, you know, especially after that Spurs game. He's got, yeah. he's, he's got to have been looking at something on the training ground in the last two weeks to, to, to improve that. Yeah, but I think it is just that toughening up. You know, he mentioned in that, that interview, toughening up the defence. I think we had the same issue when we got spanked by um, 
Sheffield United. You know, we had the exact same issue. The, the defence wasn't tough enough. We were getting beat by high balls into the box at set pieces. It's a slightly different issue this time. We're, we're, we're pushing too far up and we're, we're leaving ourselves open for players like Son to get in behind, as he did a couple of times. And we're not being disciplined enough. But all of that is kind of fairly basic stuff. The way O'Shea moves towards the ball and leaves Son for the first goal is kind of unacceptable for a defender at any level, let alone Premier League level. And he will know that. They will have analysed that in team meetings. The way we're trying to kind of be too cute coming out from the back and not mixing it up. And you might remember last season, Muric went through a spell where he was just short ball all the time and it wasn't working. Then he started picking longer balls and it started easing that pressure as and when. It didn't mean that we were completely abandoning playing out from the back. So I think there's a pragmatism to to company. I think there's a steal. I think there's a determination that his system will come good. But it'll be more the way we play, I think, rather than than personnel changes. And I don't think it'll be wholesale changes to the way we play, but it might be a word in Trafford's ear to say, look, don't be afraid of pumping it long, saying to his defenders, look, you know, I think working on distribution for O'Shea is a key thing because his distribution is, is nowhere near the level of Harwood, Bellis, Ekdal, you know, um, Bayer, for instance. Um, so I think there'll be, there'll be tweaks to individual training plans more than wholesale issues, I, I would, I'd suspect. I don't know, but I guess we'll find out on Monday. Yeah, we are away from home as well, which does... I do wonder if, if we might not see... Uh, if not at all change to the system, but maybe something like Goodmanson playing in one of those wide positions so that he can help out in the centre of midfield a little bit. Chris, what do you what what are your feelings? Do you think he'll he'll, he'll adjust things a bit? I'd like to think he'll go with that third central midfielder, just shore mm. that up a little bit. You know, uh, you know, Brownhill's probably your uh, you, you know your number one uh, candidate to fulfil that. With you know, Zerori's back. His bands, his bands up, so he can play. You know, what does does he bounce straight back into the equation? You know, didn't start against Manchester City, obviously, and uh, it may well be. Which was a surprise away. he didn't start against it, City. Oh yeah, it? absolutely, absolutely. But uh, well, I say, I mean, no, nobody, nobody who follows Burnley on this planet would have would have, would have expected Osho to start, surely. Yeah. It's just a bolt from bolt from the blue, that wasn't it? But uh, it's you know maybe maybe Zoro's got to force himself into the picture from the bench. You know Benson may be similar. I see Matt, he, he may shore up those those wider areas with with a with a Goodmanson who can you know work up up you know against uh, against the ball as well as with it. But like Griggs, you said simple things, isn't it? You know if, if there's you say Burnley, Burnley are doing so well at winning the ball high up the pitch, but the you know the, the amount of occasions against Tottenham where you know there's no pressure on the ball. Well, why are we still so high up the pitch? You know, you've got to you know, if there's no pressure on the ball, you've got to drop. And you know the 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 first goal in particular, it's just a punt over the top, and you're not getting caught out by that. It's just it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And uh, and the you know, Son Hattrick goals. It's very similar. It's the it's the, the curved ball around the back for I mean, Son Hatton. So, so 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 I mean it's a delightful ball to give. It's the, a brilliant to ball the, to give. But you say you shouldn't be you shouldn't. But be you're getting two defenders that, facing their own mm. facing their own goal and running back to their own goal. 
you know, you want to be facing, if you're 10, 15 yards further back, you're not playing as high a line, you're constantly facing the ball and there's no space for that ball in behind. And it's easy for me to sat, to be sat here saying that, but it, it stem little bits in the Premier League. Don't leave a big gap for a player like Son to run into. Um, you know, and there were other issues with Alder Keel being asked to play right back and then right wing back, which didn't really work. But I, I genuinely think that, like you know, like we said, it's little bits. That's all it is. It's little bits, individual errors, cutting out individual errors, upping individual concentration. You know, we talked about Trafford for for one of the Villa goals. His starting position could have been better, and if it's starting position's better, he perhaps gets to the ball before uh, Watkins does to to get it across to Matty Cash. We don't concede early. The game plays out a different way. You know, there's all these little bits. It's like sliding doors moments sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I think we'll learn a lot. I think we'll learn a lot from from what team he puts out and from how we approach this game and, and how it goes. I think this is a game where, you know, it's, it's still a tough one, isn't it? But, you know, you, they are a team who, who you'd expect to be in that bottom third of the league and you've got, got to be looking to try and at least draw games like that on the, on the road, I think. You know, when you look at getting to that 40-point mark or something around that, You've got to be looking at games like that as, as being potential points um, and, and and winning the odd one. Um, so I think we'll learn a lot about company. Why, as he as he as he found a solution to his fullback problem, do we see you know Delcroix start at left back and Connor Roberts at right back? Which if Delcroix can play at left back, seems to me, and he's not going to play Charlie Taylor, seems to me an obvious move to make rather than losing Del Aldakiel's influence from the middle as well. So we'll we'll learn a lot. There's a I suggestion, think. yeah. There was a suggestion uh, Reguilon was, uh, you know, he's ended up at Manchester United, hasn't he? That he he, he was one that was offered, and uh, you know whether whether you know Vincent just wasn't keen, you know, the age profile, or uh, you know, beggars can't be choosers sometimes, can they? I'd I'd rather have like if we're not going to play Taylor, I'd rather have you know. <laughs> A left back than an auxiliary one. So yeah, just, yeah. just does not no. I say Roberts can do a job there. Yeah, fine. He's doing a job. Vitinho can do a job there. Yeah, but the it's uh, you know it's, it's square pegs around holes, isn't it? Yeah. So we'll see if he's uh, found some magical solution that we haven't thought of as well in the training ground. Who knows? Maybe CJ Egan Riley's been absolutely in storming form at Gawthorpe, and we have no idea about it, but. Let's see. He, he does pull the odd surprise on you, does uh, Vincent? So we will see. Right, before we wrap up, um, Greasy, you were reminded today of uh, a professional and footballing uh, anniversary. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, I was checking my kind of Facebook memories and there was a, there was a, a post that I put on Facebook back in 2009 uh, which said that I'd upset a Premier League manager today. Uh, and I thought back and I realised that it was the 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 anniversary of the time that Owen Coyle, a very angry Owen Coyle, rang me up first thing on a Monday morning. I've been picked up the Lancashire Telegraph to be consul- to be confronted with um, this failed five-a-side footballer suggesting that playing Graham Alexander at Liverpool was the main issue and the reason we got beat and Jesse Ben Ayoun scored a hat-trick. And um, it, w- it was quite a, almost a kind of slapstick um 
turn of events because I was doing my day job, which was a political correspondent for the Baltimore News, and I was actually speaking to a, a councillor, and I had a missed call from Darren Bentley, who was the then press officer at Burnley, which I rejected because I was on the other line, and then a call from a number I didn't recognise, which I also rejected. Um, and I put the phone down to councillor, rang back the second number first, amazingly, and it was Owen Coyle. <laughs> And he went straight off the gun. And I always, I, it always sits with me. I always remember Kyle saying to me, if, if I, I'm rubbish at Scottish accents, you'll have to apologize. I have to apologize. He says, if I was Graham Alexander, I'd hunt you down, pal. And I wish I'd have been quick enough to think to myself and say at the point that I thought afterwards, uh, Graham Alexander at that point was probably the only first team footballer at Burnley that I could beat over 100 metres. Um, and that's no disrespect to Graham, but um, but yeah, and Daz I think was ringing me to say don't answer your phone because Kyle was on the warpath. Um, I did get sweet revenge uh, on a couple of occasions afterwards because he when he moved to Bolton, um, Chris will remember this. We have a thing called uh, local newspaper week, and Owen Coyle was the guest editor, uh, and I said to the editor's secretary, look when Coyle is here, let me know and I'll meet him on the stairs as he's being brought up. And he did the really awkward, oh, hello, Andrew. Oh, really nice to see you. Very, very kind of shameful. Like. Um, and true to form, Coyle left midway through the day. So my quip <laughs> in the afternoon conference of always leaves a job half done, didn't go down that well with the team. <laughs> uh, Some editors and editors. Um, but I was also in the front row of the press conference when Bolton got smashed in the FA Cup semi-final and he was the first face I was the first face he saw when he came in after they'd been beaten 5-0 or whatever it was because I was there doing the colour stuff for the Bolton News as well so um, I do always wonder what happened to uh, Mr Coyle because um, our paths have gone very, very separate this. ways um, we but need he's to back get in him India. on, but I think I might have to do it on my own. Yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, uh, yeah the suggestion uh, did not go down well in the WhatsApp group, did it? But um, it listen, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to get the feedback from our listeners whether they whether they would be interested in an Owen Coyle special because we do have ways to get in touch with him, and I've spoken to him a couple of times since he's left the club. I interviewed him when he was at Houston Dynamo over here. Um, and I reckon we could get him on the show, but um, and I don't want to make it a whole. I wouldn't want to make it a whole sort of you know, Judas wear a Bolton now sort of uh, yeah. discussion. But uh, would I people would, be interested? I think they what would. I would say, yeah, what I would say about Coyle is he gave us. I think until we started being Premier League regulars, which sounds ridiculous to say. He gave us that incredible season. You cannot doubt that. That promotion season, semi-final of the League Cup, that night at Turf Moor where we almost overturned, well, we did overturn the 4-1 first leg defeat to Spurs and then went out on that stupid rule that away goals, I think, <laughs> only counted as double after extra time in the League Cup. And it was the only it was only yeah, cup yeah, competition yeah, where yeah. League, uh, away goals counted double. But listen, I think, you know, I've mellowed towards Coyle over the years. And I, I think back to that promotion season, that trip to Wembley, semi-final of the League Cup, you know, I don't think you could, I don't think you can hold too much malice against him purely just based on that one season that he gave us, which was just, just incredible. Well, it was interesting to listen to what, to what the beast had to say about it uh, last week. And to be honest, I reckon if you spoke to most players who played under him at that time, you'd get similar comments. People who worked on his coaching staff I've, I've spoken to as well. And, they all have good things to say about him. I'd love to get him on, you know, and, and I think uh, 
I, I, I would if you let us know on social media if you're listening to this whether you'd be interested in an Owen Coyle special because I think it'd be good to just like whether he'd want to do a completely uh, let's talk about you leaving Burnley and what went on whether he'd want to do that or just brush it brush it over and, and talk about lots of other things I don't know but um, that would be what we'd have to talk about I think Chris um, would you be interested <laughs> In doing an interview with our guy. Oh, see, we, we did something in the Burnley Express for the 10th anniversary of the win at Wembley, but uh, I did uh, I did let my colleague Dan do that one because I just uh, I just ducked out. It, it was it, yeah, it's it's obviously nowhere nowhere near as raw as it was at the time, but uh, yeah, it just that was the real shame, you know, about Wembley. You know, you, you've you've won promotion to to the Premier League, which. People of our era never dreamt would ever happen. No. It, you know, we've watched Bur- Burnley losing, you know, every time we went to Maidstone and Aldershot and Gillingham, we got beat 3 0 in the fourth division. And, and you know, until, until the title season, things started to turn in the right direction. But, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it, it, it really hurt. It really hurt. But that, that night, all the rumours were about Celtic and that sort of like, rained on Burnley's parade really and, uh, and 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 Brian said last week that they knew they were, yeah. they were talking about that as well weren't they it wasn't just yeah. speculation but I do yeah. remember sort of talk, I do remember sort of talking to him and I just I always I you know whenever he spoke about Jay Rodriguez or uh, Eagles or someone like that and just sort of saying that we're trying to put something together here and I really hope you know, players don't go at the drop of a hat. And then I, I said to him, I said to him at Bolton, I said, well, I think, I think, no, I think I'd asked him about the Celtic interest and he'd said, no, there was never, never a decision to make. And then obviously, I think you, you look back and there obviously was a decision to make, you know, he, 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 yeah. he, stayed, he yeah. stayed at Burn. So at Bolton, I said, well, you always said like, you didn't want your players to go at the drop of a hat. And he said, well, like, I've not, left at the drop of a hat to go to Bolton. I could have gone to Celtic. And I said, well, six months ago, you were telling me there was no decision to make on it. It, it was just a sort of a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff yeah, that was yeah. a bit a bit, a bit woolly, shall we say, at the time. And uh, but In terms of what Greavesy was talking about there, about his experience of getting getting an angry phone call, you had, what, 28 years as, as Burnley <laughs> reporter for the Burnley Express? How many times did you get a phone call like that from a Burnley manager? Well, I, I, the, 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 well, the best thing about working at the Burnley Express, and it was pointed out to me at the interview by uh, by Edward, Edward Lee and Chris Daggett, the, who was the editor, said, you get Fridays off. I thought, this is great, this. But uh, I can remember many a Friday when Stan was in charge and you're preparing to do whatever with your day off. And at 9 o'clock, half past 9, 10 o'clock, Phone goes and it's Turf Moor or Gawthorpe, and it's his his uh, his PA Ange. I've got Stan for you, and your your heart would sink. He's like, "What on earth have I done now?" Because you knew it wasn't to say thank you for something or <laughs> praise you for an article. Although we did thank me after the promotion uh, at Scunthorpe, but uh, no, you, you, invariably you, you you'd upset him with a you know. It could even be a word you'd written. It could be a paragraph. It could be a, a link to a player. More often than not, it was transfer speculation. 
while we're doing a story, I, I spoke to a reporter down at the Bristol Evening Post, and he'd, 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 he'd said, I'm all Burnley after uh, centre forward, centre forward at Bristol City. I forget, I forget his name now. He was a big lad, six foot four. But the day after Burnley played uh, Bristol City at Turf Moor, and both Stan and Tony Pulis, who was Bristol City manager at the time, both sort of stirred me out in the press conference and like were just furious at me for the, for this uh, for this story that had gone in the Bristol Post as well. But he seemed to get away scot free. Yeah, he was. Uh, but he was. Like I say he was. He was. He was good as gold. Stan had uh, utmost respect for him. But uh, yeah, sometimes. Steve Cottrell, did, did he ever? Did Cottrell ever oh, get on the blow? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Why have Why have you written this? And why have you done that? And uh, you know, he'd. Uh, you know, it, 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 to, to be fair, more often than not, wouldn't ring you. It'd pull you to one side in a in a press conference after a press conference, and uh, yeah, he, he was always curious to know why. You know, you, you you'd written something, maybe even a, just an opinion. You know, if you remember the nineteen game run without a win, which was you know really yeah. hard, really tough going, pain, you know, painful, and uh, you know there was a defeat. Towards the end of that run at South End on a Tuesday night, where Wade Elliott was playing right back, and uh, I think I, I, I'd, I'd stated some opinion, you know, and he, he, he just like, why, why, have you, why have you written that? Why, you know, you're not. Do you not believe that we're going to get out of this? And I just, you know, you've just got to stick up for your own opinions. You know, that's all it is at the end of the day. It's an opinion. You know, it doesn't. You know, you're not setting the agenda. You, you know, it's just, uh, it's just what you, you pay to. A lot of people seem to think that you know. Well, obviously, I've, I've seen myself being mentioned in that that tone of towing the party line, and it's it's not the case, you know. You know, if if, if we've written something, it's it, it's ninety nine point nine percent of it. It's, you, you know, it's going to be your opinion most of the time. It's uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're not just you know you know. You, you, one of the first interviews I had in in the job is saying you don't you cannot be afraid of upsetting football managers. And I fell out with every football manager I dealt with. Uh, probably, even to an extent, Eddie Howe, on occasion. Sean, Sean was good as gold. That he he understood that, that you know we had a job to do, and uh, you know didn't take things personally at all. But no, I, I was in some way, shape, or form banned by every Burnley manager, be that from press conferences. Uh, what whatever. was he with Eddie? Yeah. What was he with Eddie? I could, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember, but I, I, I'd, I'd written something and he, he, he took umbrage at it. But uh, yeah, I say Brian, Brian Laws. I... Sorry, go on, Brian Laws. No, well, I say Brian, Brian Laws sort of uh, banned us from uh, from press conferences at one stage towards the uh, the end of that season in the uh, well, he's, he's, he's half season in the Premier League and and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, from 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 the first manager I worked with, Jimmy Mullen, who are you trying to pick pick my team for me? And you know, <laughs> getting really yeah. upset with us, and uh, you know, because I was a big champion of uh, John Mullen back in the day. You're always going on about right. uh, yeah, reserve team football, and you know what's uh, what's the situation with under twenty three development football? John, you know, I used to watch the reserves home and away, and you know, John was knocking on the door, and I was you know. Always sort of we we used to pick our probable team, or you know, on a Friday in the paper, and 
I think I put John in once or twice, and Jimmy would ring up and say, "You know, what, you want to be the manager, you." You know, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, ne- I mean, obviously, never having covered Burnley anywhere near like like either of you guys did. I, I've I've not got any stories about that really. Although my dad did used to uh, contribute to a thing in the Telegraph, which was like I think it was called Terry's Talk or something like that, and it was like three Burnley fans on a Tuesday or uh, giving their opinion, sort of like a sort of little like a podcast type thing, except in a written <laughs> format. Really, it was like fans you know, giving that giving their own little mini columns. Um and my dad did it for a couple of seasons when Cottrell was manager. And um I'll not mention the player, but he 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 sort of ridiculed a player. My dad had a sort of sarcastic sort of style. <laughs> and he, he sort of mocked one of these players. And he did it a couple of times. And then he got a phone call from probably the same person you're talking about, um uh Ange. And uh, he um, he was invited down to to, to meet Cottrell, who, who said to him, you know, I've been reading your column and I notice you keep making these comments about this player. Um, do you realise what's going on in his personal life? And went into quite a lot of detail and said, this is not for publication, but this is just so you know that the bloke you're taking the piss out of every week is going through this in his life. Um, and I always think back to that whenever, because one of the complaints you get, I, I've not had much from, from managers because I've never really covered one particular team that closely, apart from a couple of really big ones where, you know, you're not going to get Carlo Ancelotti ringing up the writers' <laughs> correspondent to question your match report. It's just not going to happen. Um, but you do get press officers doing it. But, but the one thing I've often said to press officers when they ring up and say, see, you don't know what's going on in the background, you know, that really upset somebody or, or you got that one wrong because you don't know. I said, well, no, we don't know because you haven't told us or you don't give us access to that information. So that's always a good defense for journalists as well. But I thought Steve Cottrell was a really good example of that because my dad probably wouldn't have written that stuff. If if he did, well, he certainly wouldn't have written that stuff if he'd have known it. And that's probably quite good management from Cottrell. And, And the thing as well, that I will say is, and you, you hear a lot of quite negative stuff about Steve Cottrell's man management style at times from people. But uh, when my dad was quite seriously ill, he got a you know um, he got he got a card at, at Burnley General Hospital popped up from personally signed with best wishes from uh, from Steve Cottrell, so which uh, which which I've never forgotten about either. Um, so. When I hear people sort of slag Cottrell off, I often think of that really, but uh, I'm sure people have had other experiences. But it, it's interesting, isn't it? I think to give people a little bit of an insight into what it's like as a as a beat reporter covering the team. I mean, one thing people often say, Chris, like when you read the message boards and some of the stick that you, you've had a bit over the years, people will say like, oh, they can't upset the club. you know. And I know that's something that's always bugged you a bit, that. Because you obviously have upset the club. Well, yeah, yeah. I say you just you're not you're not in tandem with them, you know. Like say when you know we're near as sort of you know close as people might 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 consider, and you know, unfortunately, I mean that sure that that relationship seems to have sort of sort of faded away somewhat, even more so. But uh, it's no, nah, it is that's a stand stand famously. 
Was it uh, they played an FA Cup tie at uh, Mansfield in 2004? And I went to the tunnel after the game and he just went, you, you can effing get effed. And I'm looking at just incredulous. I was like, what have I done? You know what you've effing done. Just eff off. And I was banned for the remainder of that season from press conferences. And uh, Scott Reed, who was at 2BR then, he used to give me the audio so I could at least get some quotes. And Stan found that out and went absolutely apoplectic. And that, that was a, a stop book to that. But I, I just, I, to this day, I think I think I'd written a piece saying I think I think Burnley had won something like eleven games over the previous calendar year, and you know I just uh, it just it'd been a poor year, and uh, I don't think that was a you know, a popular I don't think the facts were popular, <laughs> shall we say the way they were presented. But oh, to be the day the day he left the club, he rang me up and he said, "Only business, nothing personal. Do you want to come round and uh, make me tea?" Really? Yeah, 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 and uh, you know, just absolutely. Like I say I had the utmost respect for him, and he was—he uh, was absolutely. Uh, you'd never learn as much off another football manager in your life, but uh, <laughs> he was. Yeah, he just uh, I, pop, I popped up there and had my tea, and uh, I stopped for a few hours, and uh, oh, told me some uh, some stories that uh, unfortunately I couldn't print, but uh, it's <laughs> that's the way it is. Yeah. I mean, Greavesy, like, this is just before we wrap this up, I mean, you deal with young journalists as well. I mean, they're going into those environments when, when they get jobs. If you're covering the big teams, you know, Pep's not not ringing you up, Klopp's not ringing you up. It's a press office who, who, who rings you up, isn't it? And is that part of their training, being able to handle that those awkward phone calls you get? Yeah, I mean, we do we do a lot around interviews and, and difficult interviews and things like that because it is, you know, it is part and parcel. But, um, yeah, I, I completely agree with Chris on Stan. I, I've, I've known him for quite a while and he's, he's an absolute joy to kind of be around and learn from. But um, talking of band, I... I Brian Laws wanted me to, uh, I think he wanted me banned from, from Burnley. Um, yeah, I mean, the official one was he wants, he wants to ban you from Turf Moor. Um, and, and again, Darren Bentley just said, you know, stay away from press conferences, basically. And by that point, I'd kind of had enough anyway. And it was after the game we'd got smashed by Man City, which should have been called off second half. But I think City were 5-0 up at that point and torrential rain. Um, made the pitch unplayable and, and Laws basically said to the fourth official, you can't call this off, there'll be a riot if you called it off at 5-0. Um, and I always remember Stephen Fletcher being announced as the man of the match because he'd got the consolation goals and the City fans singing there's only one Stephen Fletcher. So on the Monday, we did a big time to go, Brian. Uh, but Brian didn't have the uh, didn't have the kind of, yeah, well, didn't, didn't call me up in the same way as Kyle. But yeah, absolutely, you know, just dealing with press officers who... Um, uh, again, can be quite awkward with 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 journalists, as we all know. And you know, that's the kind of angry phone call you get. All oh, the managers not happy, but I kind of I, I miss the times when you know the jeopardy was the manager might ring you up. And I all I did, I had a column, so I I wasn't I wasn't going to press conferences. I'd hang around after the game to 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 listen to the managers. Um, but yeah, I, I think young reporters nowadays, especially if you're covering big clubs, probably don't have the the um the the kind of experience of being uh, of being told off by a manager and just before we go I did once have a um, I had a trainee who we used to send out to football matches a guy called Colin Henry 
um, Colin Henry's, I should say, and he was once mugged um, in the park next to Deepdale because Graham Wesley, when he was deep, when he was Preston manager, had had kept the press waiting for about an hour and three quarters, and by the time Colin was walking back across Avenham Park or whatever the park is near Deepdale, Deepdale Park probably, More um, he park. actually got mugged. <laughs> More Park, there we go. He actually got mugged because it was that late at night that he was walking across the uh. park on his own and got mugged. So. Um, but Wesley was quite well known for that, I think. Uh, not a lot of people have a good word to say about Graham Wesley. Um, but he used to famously keep the journalists waiting in the press room for an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes, come in, say very little, then bugger off. But yeah, Colin, unfortunately, as a student journalist, he used to go out for, for our sports agency um, at the time, Sportsbeat, covering stuff for the league paper. And he actually got mugged on a Tuesday night in Moor Park because <laughs> of Graham Wesley. <laughs> Yeah, you just don't get that experience anymore, do you? I mean, that's that's the stuff that makes you. And uh, Colin still works in sport. He was at Wrexham doing some stuff down at Wrexham last time I spoke to Colin. So, um, you know, in the big league now with the uh, the two American <laughs> actors. Yeah, yeah, what a story that is. Yeah, well, I'll save my story about being mugged outside the San Siro after a Champions League <laughs> game press conference for another, another time. But uh, let's finish off uh, with, let's just have a quick uh, predictions. Predictions for Monday night. What what do we what do we expect, Chris? Oh, good grief! I'm it's a mugs so game, f- I know, but go on. Yeah, famously hopeless at uh, predictions. I'd, I'd I'd like to think that you know the Burnley can go there and pick up at least a point, and uh, I'd, I'd I'd take a one apiece. You know, one apiece for Chris mm-hmm. Borden grieves it. Yeah, I was thinking one apiece. I'd take I'd take a point, get a point on the board, get us off the mark. See how results have gone Saturday, Sunday, but yeah, maybe nick it. But you know, head says, head says one one, same as Chris. I think shock two one victory for me. <laughs> it's uncharacteristically Great. popular. Uh, uncharacteristically um, positive. Not the right positive. There we go. Couldn't even get <laughs> that out. I was so shocked uh, from you there, Simon. But I think every Burnley fan in the land had take a, a shock two one. Late, late, winner. late winner from Lyle Foster. Yeah. I've been running a long straight line from his own area. Hey, we're going to keep that going all season, aren't we? Mm. Right. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Uh, it's been it's been a good chat. Hopefully, uh, that little bit of insight into what it was like for Chris covering uh, Burnley is of interest. And uh, we will be back with a special uh, edition on Tuesday after uh, Monday night's match, looking back at how it all went. And, uh, yeah, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media at Behold Podcast on Twitter, X, Facebook, wherever you want. And uh, don't forget, of course, when you uh, subscribe to our podcast feed, try to leave us a rating and a review if possible. It does help other people find us, helps get us up that chart so we can finish a little bit higher every week in those charts and more people find us. And who knows, one day we might even be able to get some advertising to pay our internet bills. So... (laughs) All the best. Cheers. Enjoy this weekend. Uh, Enjoy Monday night's game and uh, speak to you all on Tuesday.